Amen. That's what Romans is about, the righteousness of Christ. And that's what it, it means to live under the mercy. Uh, the mercies that we've been given, the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to us by the Lord Jesus when we believed. I try to keep a healthy heart. I spent a little bit of time on the treadmill yesterday, and that's not because it's such a good time. It's because I want my heart to be healthy. Hey, I have a lot of people to... Dave, are you listening today? Like, yeah, Dave, that's not fair, is it? Dave, one of our deacons, is here with a big smile on his face. He didn't hear me preach last week because the music made him so sick that he... No, he was so enthused during the music that he, he went to the hospital to have a couple of heart stints put in. And we're glad he's here. We love him a lot and grateful that God's watched over him and he's healthy. We've got to keep our heart healthy, right? And we have a lot of people to love. We have a lot of life to live. We've got a lot of stuff to do. It's important that we keep a healthy heart. And that's true physically, of course. It's true spiritually, you know. And um, I have some slides here, and this isn't working. So I might need to have some help. Yeah. And uh, what I'd like you to do is take your Bibles and turn to Romans and chapter 15. And we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning and early into the afternoon just a bit in Romans chapter 15, talking about what it's like to live under the mercy. And I want to talk to you today about having a heart as big as the whole world. Having a heart as big as the whole world. I read this of a man who's a pastor, and they had a unique kind of um, ministry in their church. I thought it was kind of neat. Women in the church would make these prayer shawls, a little thing that you'd wear around your shoulders when you pray. And while they were making these prayer shawls, the women would pray for whoever it was that was going to wear the prayer shawl when they prayed. And they had the habit of going to people who were sick, especially when the folk asked, and would go to them and pray for them and anoint them with oil and pray for their healing and so forth, put this little prayer shawl around their neck. Well, they got, the pastor got a call from a family of a guy who'd lived a very, a life really very far from God, a really rough life, and he had really, uh, he was coming to the end of his days, he, he had a terminal illness, and he didn't really call for help, but his family was desperate for help, and they said, you know, pastor, can you come? Is there anything that you can do? And the pastor brought a, another guy with him in, in one of these prayer shawls that one of the ladies in the church had made and, a, and a, a bottle of oil to anoint this guy if he was willing. And they, and they said, well, hey, you, you might not even be able to get in the house. This guy is such a hard nose and he's just so hardened against the things of the Lord. He may not even talk to you. He's run off a couple of hospice workers and he may not even listen to you. Well, the pastor and his friend, they went in. And they greeted him, and he didn't speak, and he didn't look up. He's just sitting on the edge of the bed with his head down. And so they explained the prayer shawl, and they just like moved forward, and they said, we're just going to put this around your shoulders. And while, while we put this around your shoulders, we want you to know that this was made by ladies in the church, and they prayed for the person that's going to wear this. While we pray, we're just going to put this around your sh- shoulders. And he didn't move. He didn't acknowledge them being there, but he didn't refuse it. And so he said, and my, my assistant here is going to, Put oil on your forehead. Just anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and ask him to minister to you. And, and so he didn't object. So the assistant went over and took the oil and made the sign of the cross on his forehead. And then they prayed. And they noticed that even though he didn't speak, that while they were praying, tears fell to the ground. And he didn't speak to them until they left. And they didn't really know how he felt about it. But they say that an unusual thing happened. Three or four days later, he died. 
But the workers then said, you got to understand, Pastor, he was never the same after you came and prayed with him. And he never let anybody take that prayer shawl away from him. He kept himself wrapped in that prayer shawl. And he died with that around his shoulders. And he was buried with that. And when I heard that story, my heart was just so tender. What does a story do like that for you? Do you realize there are people that are all around us and people that are here in the room today, right now, going through every imaginable kind of problem. They've been through almost every imaginable kind of hurt. They're all in different places on their walk with the Lord. We've got a sister here today that said she got her car stolen. She just put gas in her car. She just put $1,000 worth of work in her car. She doesn't have a replacement insurance for the car. Her car got stolen this week. Well, that's a terrible hardship. I know that some of you are here today and you've been looking for work for a long time and you have mouths to feed, you have bills to pay, and you don't have work and it's hard to find work. Some of you, I know that you're here and you're getting older and because, and when we get older, you know, we're wearing out and we're worried a little bit about what the future is going to be like and will we have enough money to last for the rest of our life and what kind of problems are we going to have? Am I going to be in church next week or am I going to be in the hospital next week? And, and to make it through life, we got to have a big, tender heart. And I want you to notice something about this text. I want to show you some things about the text. The first one is this. Jesus, our Savior, has a heart as big as the whole world. And you're going to see this as we read the text in Romans 15. Last week we went to about verse 7. I'm just going to start in verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God. The circumcision is a way of talking about Jewish people at that point. To confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So what this is saying is, this is Jesus. Jesus obviously loves Jewish people. He is Jewish people. He loves Jewish people. And this, the, and, and the, the Bible is a book that, that emphasizes Jewish people because God used this little nation of Israel, in order to reach the whole world. But they kind of got the impression that they were kind of all that, and that the whole purpose of God blessing Israel was just to bless Israel, not that so the Jews would bless the rest of the world. And so the Bible is saying here in Paul's writing to this Roman church, which is made up of Jewish expatriates living in Rome and converts to Christianity and converts to Christianity from paganism or from the Gentile world. And they're trying to get along together. And the whole purpose of this book is to say, these are the truths like Michelle was singing about today that we found, we founded our entire lives on. You guys need to get it together, even though your backgrounds are different and you need to see to it that this message that liberates people just goes all around the world. And Jesus, he uses Jesus as an example. And he says, Jesus has a heart for Jewish people. And the Jewish people say, can I get an amen? Right. And he says, but he has a heart for Jewish people so that they would go around the world and reach non-Jewish people, Gentile people. How many of you are glad that's true about Jesus? Because we don't have too many Jewish people here today. We're all kind of in the Gentile category. Jesus has a heart that's as big as the whole world. He doesn't have a certain color of people he doesn't like. If he did, it would probably, like, remember we said a few weeks ago, and it was a real shock to some of you that, like, Jesus wasn't a white man, right? Because we tend to think of him that way if we're white. Isn't that interesting? So, but he has a heart for the whole world, even people who eat different food than he eats. 
A heart for the whole world, even people who speak different languages than he speaks. A heart for the whole world, even people that have different color skin or or different culture or cherish different things. His heart is a big heart, a heart for the whole world. And then Paul is going to quote a number of Old Testament passages talking about how God's heart is to put Jewish people and Gentile people, the whole world together and keep them together forever. And so that all of them would say the same thing and glorify God. And here you have a swift movement through the next passage. The Jews are among the Gentiles in this quotation from Psalm. 18 and verse 49. He says, the Jews are among the Gentiles. That's verse 9. For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Jesus wants Jewish people among among, uh, the Gentiles and he wants to work among the Gentiles. And then in verse 10, the Gentiles are rejoiced with the Jews. There's sort of a progression here. And again, he says, verse 10, if you're looking, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is a common theme in the Bible. It's kind of like the purpose of Jesus sending people on a mission is so that people would be happy in God and they would glorify God and they would rejoice in God. And he wants all the different various people groups in all the world to rejoice and glorify God. Verse 11, you see the next chunk there. The Jews and the Gentiles then praise God together. A quotation from Psalm 117 and verse 1. Praise the Lord, O you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. He's just cherry-picking different passages in the Old Testament showing that the heart of God is as big as the world, the whole world. And in verse 12, and again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, He who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. And so the the point of this passage is that when Jesus takes over your heart, he reigns, but but so he's the ruler, he's the king of your heart. You do what he says, but you do it willingly because you want to, out of love, out of hope, because you have this confidence in the future. So there, there you have an interesting like progression that proves that Jesus, who we all love and admire, has a heart for the whole world. And I'm like so glad he did because I'm a part of that whole world that Jesus has a heart for. Now the next section is interesting because Jesus reigns over the Jews and the Gentiles. And then Paul, so Jesus has a heart for the whole world, but the, the next section in Romans shows that Paul has this inherited this same, he's infected with the same thing. Paul has a heart for the whole world. Now you've got to remember that, remember, Paul was a Jewish bigot at first. He was narrow-minded, bigoted. He's the only one who's right. He didn't like other people. He didn't care about other people. And God changed him. My hope is that if you're that kind of a bigot today, that God will make your heart big, like Jesus' heart is big for the whole world, like Paul's was big for the whole world, and that you would begin to have a kind of a world view of the world, that you would see the world the way God does. He didn't just make people like you. He made everybody and loves and everybody and all the people groups of the world are part of his redemptive desire. And so Paul has this big heart. And you see that in verses 14 through 21. He's obsessed with gospel ministry. Look at verse 14. Now I myself am confident. I didn't read verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. I think that's an amazing verse that he wrote that before Dale Carnegie wrote how to win friends and influence people. 
He gave them a good reputation to live up to. Did you see that? I believe in you guys. And then he goes, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ. And here comes the shock to the Gentiles. So if you're sitting there going, what? Are you kidding? He's the Jewish, Jewish guy. He's the Jewishest of Jewish guys, Paul, a Pharisee. And he's so converted that all of a sudden his heart just gets enlarged. Listen, if you know Jesus, whose heart is as big as the whole world, if you really know him and you love him like you're supposed to love him, your heart gets bigger and bigger and broader and broader and more and more loving. And this is what happened to Paul. He got totally changed. He got this big gracious, generous heart for the whole world. And then he starts to call himself the minister to the Gentiles. I'm the guy, the Jewish guy. And Jesus has a funny, God has a funny way of doing just counterintuitive things. This guy is perfectly, perfectly wired to be a a missionary to Jewish people. And God says, watch what I'm going to do. And he sends him to Gentile people. But also, Paul's trying to appeal. He says, he's like, he's kind of saying, if I was as Jewish as I was and, and you're, and I can embrace the Gentiles, then you can too. That's why God used Paul as a minister to the Gentiles and indirectly to influence the Jewish people. Now, why is all that? Because, and listen, this is important. He wants the church to have a united effort to go around the world with the gospel. He wants us to set aside our petty differences. He wants us to set aside our personal preferences. He wants us to emphasize the very word of the living God because people are perishing without him. And when the people get together on the gospel, then they they have a heart as big as the world Paul did. He saw his missional efforts in his ministry and his service as worship. Look in verse 16. He says, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. By the way, that ministering is servant words, like deacon words. It's like, I'm just a basic server. Uh, my friend Tom Harmon signs all of his books, just a field hand for God. And that's what he's kind of saying. I'm just a server. I'm just a common laborer for God. I'm willing to common labor for you to get you the good news. That's what Paul is saying there, right? That the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And when you first read that in the English Bible, you don't recognize how deep what he's saying is. He's using Old Testament sacrificial language, temple language. He's like, he's like it's like I'm a priest and you are my offering to God. So when you go to Liz Musham and when you say, Liz Musham, I don't know if I will qualify, but I would like to be considered to qualify to work with those little children. Then you should not do that unless you are doing that as an offering of, say, of, of worship to God. If you drive our bus, if you ride the bus to help the bus driver, and you go gather up people who are precious to God. If you lady was telling me this week, telling me her story, and she said, They came, it was years ago, they came and they got me and my kids on the bus. She said, I saw the church bus go through my neighborhood. I saw the name of the church, Evangel Baptist Church, years ago. They came and they got me. And I got on the bus with my kids, with the babies. Came to know the Lord, still in the church today because of that. So if you want you say, well, I can't do much. Can you ride a bus? Can you come a little early, stay a little late and ride a bus and hang out with kids and love them? We have a place for you if you qualify. 
for that. You can work. We don't let just anybody work with the kids. But if you qualify, you can get on that bus, and then you can build your way. I mean, I'm off the rails here, but uh, my sister Melanie, I, w- I took a bus route when I was in high school. And uh, on the bus route was a kid named Jim Evans. I thought he was kind of a ruffian myself. Uh, but we became friends, and we would spar and all of that and kid around he defended me at school because he was a thug and I was a pastor's kid and not terribly dangerous. So he defended me at school and stuff like that. So I liked him a lot. One time I showed him a picture of my sister. He said, man, she's good looking. I want to meet her. And I thought, <laughs> you don't have a chance with my sister. They have 11 kids. They have 11 kids. He's a pastor up north. They're building a new building. He's a bus kid. He's a kid that came on the bus. You know, isn't that awesome? Because somebody decided that the gospel is so precious, I'm going to go take it to somebody else. You could ride a bus in our church, and you could help other people come here, and you could sit on the porch rocking chair in heaven and say, I remember when I rode the bus, and I remember those kids that came. I remember that kid that went off to Bible college. I remember how he came on the bus first, and then I remember his mom came isn't that awesome? And I could just go way off on that rabbit trail. Isn't that a fun rabbit trail right there? This is really what Paul is saying here. My service is like worship to God. It, you can keep doing what's worship. Verse 17, therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. That's kind of a obscure way of writing that. Some of the modern translations make it a little easier to catch. Paul is basically saying this. I'm not ashamed to brag to you a little bit about what Jesus has allowed me to do. It isn't about me. He's just saying the only thing I ever want to talk about is the stuff that Jesus is doing. And that's the way it is when your heart gets big like Paul, gets big as the whole world like Jesus, then you want to talk a lot about the work of the gospel and about missions and about eternal things. And that's all Paul's saying. I don't want to talk about anything else. Paul really never talks sports. Isn't that interesting? He always talks gospel. He always talks missions. He always talks about the progress of the gospel around the world. He's just obsessed with that. And he talked continually about doing the work of God. And he had the power of God in his life. There was a unique time in the life of the church when people had this apostolic power. There's still the power of the same Holy Spirit in the church today to change people's lives. And maybe you need to be touched by that power. Have your life changed. Like right now, if I said to you, what is it you need only God can do in your life? Well, we need people who are so in touch with God that when they minister the gospel to other people, God touches their lives and they're uniquely changed. I know there are some people that take a long time to change over time. And God uses a long time to change them, like deliver them from alcohol or something. Sometimes God just miraculously delivers people instantaneously because he does what he does. You know, it's, it's not, what, what, what Paul is interestingly saying, making this argument here, is he's saying, I don't want a church full of judges. I don't need a church full of judges. I don't need a church full. Thank you for that one amen. Always count on you, sister. Yeah. I don't need a church full of judges. I don't need a church full of prosecuting attorneys that are prosecuting the guilty. I don't need a church full of juries that are going to decide who's right and wrong. Paul is saying, I need a church full of what? Witnesses. 
Witnesses. That's all. That, can you be a witness? Can you say what God did? You say, I'm not the judge. No, you're not the judge. You're not the jury. No, you're, thank you. Everybody wants to be the judge and the jury. You are not the judge and the jury. There is a judge. You're not him. There is a jury. You're not them. There is a prosecuting attorney. You're not him. There is an advocate. You're not him. You are a witness. Isn't that awesome? And all you do is you just give a witness. Just go around and give a witness. Who can't give a witness? If God did something miraculous in your life, if he strengthened your marriage, if he helped you to be a better daddy, if he helped you to be a more focused mom, if he helped you with your finances, if he's met your needs, you can be a witness. I went to the children's hospital this week and I saw little precious tiny kids with their hair gone, kind of hobbling down the hallway and walking past the rooms with little children. And I thought I raised, Lois and I raised eight kids and we never went to the hospital. We almost never went to the doctor. We had a little short hospitalization of Danny just before, just after he was born and he was really okay. We didn't have a broken bone. God watched over our family. I know he could have done it a different way. He watched over our family. I can be a witness to that. I can tell everybody I know. I can be a witness that God has put so much food on my table that one of my biggest problems is overeating. Can I get a witness on that? We can say God has been good to me. Can you say God has been good to me? Can you say God has given me a beautiful little girl? God has given me a sweet little boy. God has given me a table full of family. God has given me a good wife. God has given me a good husband. God has given me a good nation. Can you be a witness? That's what you're called to do. Not to be a judge, not to be a jury, not to be the prosecuting attorney. Just to be a witness. How powerful is that? That, so God wants people with a heart as big as the world to go all around the world and just be a witness. Isn't that great? I love when I think about that. And that's what Paul was. Paul was a witness. He's like, punch him anywhere, and he bleeds Jesus. He talks about the things of the Lord. In verse 19, and many mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem around to Ilicrim, and by the way, that was a long way north of Italy, so he's just saying all around kind of the known world, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ, and so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has not announced, they shall see, those who have not heard shall understand. Here's a real practical way I want to give you an example. How often do we preach the gospel right here on this platform? Like all the time, right? Michelle just sang it today. I'm preaching it today. Happens all the time. You know that if you want the gospel, just come here. We're going to preach the gospel to you. And every one of the Sunday school classes, we're going to preach the gospel. Of course we, we do. Paul is saying, though, you know what I got to itch to do? Take the gospel where nobody's heard it. And that would mean the barber chair. I got my eyes checked this week. And the guy was telling me what he believed about God. I, to be honest with you, I, I, I'm, I'm rarely at a loss for words, and I got a little bit tangled up, and I didn't really do a good job with him, and it's been bothering me all week. But I do, you know what? I do that when I witness, and I, and I you ever do that? You witness, and you just kind of like, it was a dud. And I, was a, it was a, I walked away going, why? You know what I do? I go, I'm going to go to school on that. That will never happen to me again. The next time a guy says what he said, I'm going to have a better answer. I'm going to try to go back and find that guy again. <laughs> I'm going to pray that God will send somebody to be a witness to him because I kind of fumbled the ball. I didn't do that well, and I, I hate that. you know. But I'm not going to stop and just think about this. I love to be here when we talk about the gospel and we preach to the choir and we all agree and we say amen. But you folks are on your way to heaven, most of you, right? 
And there are people all around in our world that they don't have the good news. They just don't get it. And then Paul says, I got a heart to go there where nobody's heard it. And that means right here in Taylor, the world is coming here. You go to, I was in Sam's Club and there were Indian people there. And there were Amish people there. There were uh, African people there. There were pale faces like me there. It was so cool. There's just people from right there. Literally, you could just walk around and you had like mission field, different cultures of the world, different right there. This is the world that we live in. God is bringing the world to us. And Paul is obsessed with this. He has a big heart. Now he challenges the Romans to have a big heart. And by the way, notice these uh, three little trips that he talks about. Paul's going from Corinth to Jerusalem. He just talks about that. And the purpose of going from Corinth to Jerusalem is so that he could deliver relief, that he got relief money, money for the poor, because Jerusalem Christians were going through a hard time. So the gospel went from Jerusalem to like Greece, and, and, and then the, this, these churches in Greece are sending relief back to Jerusalem. Paul gets in trouble whenever he goes to Jerusalem. So at the end of this chapter, he's going to say, pray for me, because i got to go back to Jerusalem. And I always get in trouble when I go to Jerusalem. But i got to take this gift, and i got to seal this fruit to their account. So he's going to take this gift, and what it is, is that he's delivering relief from Greece, really, to Jerusalem. And he's writing to the Romans about it. Then he's going to go from Jerusalem to Rome, where he, he's going to hint to them, what is he going to do there? He says, you're going to help me on my way, which is a cute little pastor euphemism for, I need a little cash for my trip. So he, he earned most of his own way, but he says, I don't mind asking you to help me on my way, because the next trip he's going to make is from Rome. He wants to go to Spain. Isn't that amazing? Now, Paul does eventually make it to Rome in a very unique way. And some people believe he got to Spain too, though the Bible doesn't talk about that. But I want you to notice these things. This trip is to deliver relief. The next trip is to gather support. The next trip is to go do ministry. What does that sound like to you? That sounds like a missionary. That's the way our heart ought to be. We ought to have like a missionary heart. We ought to go, I'm going to deliver relief to people. I'm going to gather support. So I can take it from here, and I can move it over here. And when I go with the gospel, I'm going to bring what they gave me. And that still works all around the world. Isn't that cool? That's what he did there. Now notice this. He challenged the Romans to have a heart for the whole world. He challenged the Romans. And this is in the next section. And what we're going to do is we're going to deal with this in a real practical way. And then I'm going to quit. It shouldn't take me more than a couple of hours to do this. He said, I hope to be helped on my way there by you. If first I may enjoy your company for, the, for a while. It's kind of cute there. Do you see that? He said, I hope you're going to help me on my way. That's in verse 24. And, I'll, but, and, and I want to enjoy your company for a while. There's no fellowship like when people agree together to help other people get the gospel. He says, I'm going to come and be with you. And I, and I want you to help me. Probably give him some money or, or means to go to Spain because he wants to take the gospel to Spain. So he challenges the Romans to have a heart for the world. And I want you to notice this. And I want you to ask before we go on, I want you to think, do you have a heart as big as the whole world? Does Evangel have a heart as big as the whole world? I mean, what is it your heart's thinking about all the time? What is it you spend your time, money, effort, interest on? What is it you talk about all the time? Do you have a heart for the whole world? Aren't you glad Jesus had a heart for the whole world? Aren't you glad Paul had a heart for the whole world? Paul doesn't mind saying to the Romans, you guys ought to have a heart for the whole world. And I think if he was speaking today, he'd say, Evangel, what a great name. I like your name. Do you live up to that name? Do you have a heart for the whole world? I'm telling you something. 
Most of us want to be happy, right? And we're working it, man, trying to be happy. And we're trying a whole bunch of different things to be happy. But really what the Bible teaches is happiness is not something that you can directly get. It's sort of a byproduct of having a real meaningful life. Happiness is a byproduct of a meaningful life. And there's no more meaningful life than when you join God on the great meaning of the whole world. So what I'm talking to you about, I'm not shy about it. If you pursue this and you grow a big heart, happiness gets thrown in. A genuine kind of happiness. And maybe that's what you've been looking for. This is what Paul is saying. He's very fulfilled and you can be fulfilled too. So you might say, well then, how can I be a great heart? I don't want to be a narrow heart. I don't want to be a judge, jury, executioner. I don't want to be a little shriveled, dried up heart. I don't want to be a selfish heart. I want to be a great heart. I want to be a joyful heart. I want to be a giving heart. I want to be a generous heart. I want to be a going heart. That's when I, when I live and die, that's the way I want to live and die. So that people say, that guy was a great heart. How can you be a great heart? It's right here in the text. Jesse called me on my birthday. Monday was my birthday. Jesse is my most recent son-in-law. So he calls me to say happy birthday to me, and that's really delightful. And here, he told me something that made me really happy. He said, your daughter is such a delight to be married to. I said, I told you, I told you, when I begged you to marry her, I told you that you would like her. No, just kidding. He said, she's a delight. He says, you know what she did the other day? He said, I have a, a, a business colleague of mine, and he's from Austria, and I've met with him many times, but I've really never been able to really kind of get to the gospel conversation. Holly said, why don't you bring him to our home and have him stay overnight and I'll make a nice meal and then we'll talk to him. So they made a nice meal and he came that evening and they built a fire and they talked all about Austria and the sound of music and all of that. And then Holly was able to take the conversation toward the gospel. Holly said that once I got the gospel conversation open, Jesse steps in and he just lays the gospel on this guy, just gives him the gospel. Jesse called me on the phone and he said to me, Holly, it was so delightful to work with her. It's like she's able to get the gospel conversation open. And then I thought about Holly when she was little, standing on the platform of the church. Linda, you were there. Do you remember this day? And she sang this little song. And we taught her this little song. It's called, Here my Lord, send me. Here my Lord, send me. (laughs) It's a little, little verse started. You ever hear this? It's a Patch the Pirate song. Let me see my mission field. I bet you knew this one too, didn't you? Yeah, all around each day, fill my heart with Jesus' love. Use me, Lord, I pray. Here am I, Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord, send me. (laughs) Isn't that a great song? She's all grown up and she went away. She's telling people about the Lord. Talked to Carrie Haverlock this week. She's homegrown right here in this church. She went on missions trips and got a heart for missions here in this church. She's a missionary. She's under-supported missionary right now. Just make, make it, just working and making on just a few hundred dollars. She gets about 75% of her support from individuals in this church. And she needs to raise a little bit more support. And she came from this church. And she's in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Of course, you know Tim Walker. And Tim Walker's a homegrown missionary. He's one of the pastors of the Restored Church in Wilkesbury. And they're just so innovative. Here's what she told me this week. She said... We had this like street fair thing and our church went and what we did is we bought a little Apple TV, their little thing, and a, a Chrome uh, TV thing to give away like a door prize. And so they had people sign up if they wanted to win that and they got their name, address, and <laughs> the emails. And then they followed up on those and she said she was sitting in church 
And there was a lady behind her, and she just turned around, and she said, what brings you here? And she said, I was trying to win the Apple TV. And then yet you invited me. And she says, I came, and I really like it. Carrie says, pray for me, because I'm having lunch with her this week, and I want to talk to her about the Lord. Isn't that awesome? There's something about that, you know. When, when you're on the mission of Jesus, there's something very thrilling about it. Carrie Haverlock has a great heart. She said, growing a great heart. Because she's open. Now, how many of you would like to have a great heart? Raise your hand. Oh, hi. How many of you are willing to stay an extra 10 minutes to hear me talk about that? Okay, good. All right, here, here we go. Are you ready? Here, here we go. I'll, I'll do this really fast. Okay, how to grow a great heart. I have slides for this. How to grow your heart. All right, here we go. Comes right out of the text. You can study the details. Number one, support gospel workers. A lot of you do that, support gospel workers. Um, and that was, you, you can get, give money like to a, to a gal like Carrie or, or Tim or Restoration Church or Kendra or Ralph Bonesteel, who've been faithful missionaries with Life Action Ministries. They're homegrown. Mom and dad sit in the front row. I would still say this even if you guys weren't sitting there. Faithful kids, love the Lord, serve the Lord. Just, that's all they want to do. They're not getting rich. You can give them money. They'll probably take it. They probably know what to do with it. They don't need too much. They, they, don't get, they get by on very little. They're serving the Lord. Um, our missionary committee met this week, and they were just like kind of frustrated almost. Like, how do we do this? We wanted, these kids came from our church. We need to support these kids that came from our church. And we also kind of want to keep the lights on and everything. So, you know, just pray about that. But support gospel workers. Um, one of our deacons, as a matter of fact, it was Mike, our deacon chairman, when we were having our deacons meeting this week, we were going, what are we going to do? Like pay our pastors or send missionaries, you know? And Mike says, can we do both? I was like, I set him up for that line. I was like, we want to do both, right? We, we, we want to pay our pastors. That's very important. Yeah. And we want, yeah, just a little humor there. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but we don't want to stop sending missionaries. Because what's the whole point? How about we want to be? So that's one way. Support gospel workers. Look at verse 24. Whenever I journey to Spain, I'll come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and be helped on my way there by you. Support gospel workers. Second, meet practical needs. You see that in verses 25? I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. It pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints. This is like a missional secret. It's like... You want to give the gospel to people, but if their stomach is growling so loud, they can't hear the gospel. You've got to feed them so their stomach quiets down so they can hear the gospel. So they might need a coat, or they might need help with their car, or they, they might need food. And, and this, is, this is what get So meet practical needs. Gina Gable called me yesterday. If you've been around here for a while, you remember Gina. She's a beautiful singer, you know, and she's in a church in Indianapolis, and their, um, their church adopted a public school. The public school was rated F, like failing, by the state. The state rated this public school F. It was an impoverished public school. It was not doing well academically. It was not doing well socially. This big church adopted this public school. They just adopted the school. They did reading programs there. They did giveaways there. They did parenting programs. They did a bunch of stuff. The, the school went from an F failing rating to a B rating because the church adopted the school. Isn't that cool? Just tell me about that. Meet practical needs. There's something powerful about that. You, many of you don't know this, but we have like a reading program. On, on, we have like a reading expert, and she helps people, little, little people, get up to speed on reading. We have a GED completion program, and folks come literally kind of from around the world, and they, and they come here, 
during the Guiding Hands Pregnancy Refuge, during that time, there's a bunch of other things that are going on during that time. This is how you grow a great heart, though. You get, a bar, you get to be a part of meeting practical needs. You support gospel workers. You give useful gifts. Verses 27 through 29, it pleased them indeed. They are their debtors, for if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is to minister to them material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, then I'll go by way of you to Spain. I'm going to go through, get the play on words, by way of you. In other words, I'm going through there, and I know you're going you're to help me. But giving practical, useful gifts is another way to grow a great heart. My Holly sent me a picture of a kerosene heater. And she says, Dad, this reminds me of you. And I was like, part of my shameful past, having trouble keeping the heat on in that big house with all the kids. And I remember that I was discipling a guy named Cliff Carpenter. And I led Cliff and Amy to the Lord. And then I discipled them. I'd go to their house every Tuesday night, and I would disciple them. And one day I came in, and, and the, he was taking the chill off the house with a little kerosene heater. And I asked about it. A couple of weeks later, we had this big drafty house we were trying to heat. And it was really hard. I would lay awake at night and hear the heater kick on. And I would wonder how we we're going to pay for the oil furnace to be, oil to be filled again. A couple of weeks later, Cliff Carpenter drove his pickup truck over to my house. And he says, come out here. I want to show you something. When I walked out to his truck, I'll never forget this. He reached in the back of the truck and he got a box out. It was a brand new one of those kerosene heaters. And he said, me and Amy just want you to have this. You've meant a lot to us. He met a practical need. And today I still think about that. I have a memory of parking my car in front of my house before I went off to work and seeing the glow of that heater at the bottom of the stairs and praying for my kids. Holly has a memory of coming down the bottom of the stairs and sitting and warming her hands by the heater because he gave me a practical gift. And you may not have a lot, but one of the ways to grow a great heart is to give people practical gifts. Even if you're sharing something that you really love, that you like. Maybe I've heard of people putting tires on other people's cars and now they're safer and they got winter coming or are just helping them get that, you know, their antifreeze changed out because they don't know how to do it, a single mom or something like that. Another way to grow a large heart, and I'm almost done, is to pray hard, pray hard. You know, notice it says that in verses 30 and 31, Paul is going to beg now. He says, I, verse 30, now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. What is that? That's praying hard. I want you to pray hard for me. That he'd be able to deliver the goods and that he'd be able to be safe. And how many of you have one of these in your home? Raise your hand if you have one of these in your home. Uh Uh-huh. So you all ought to have one. They're cheap as dirt. I think they're, they're a buck and a half or less. What are they? Ladies, missionary people. One dollar. One dollar. You can't even buy coffee for that. Um, and what you have here is a directory of all the missionaries that we support with a map and a color picture. Isn't that cool? One of the ways to have a big heart is to pray for missionaries. As a matter of fact, you know, the Adams, they got a little thing by their table and they pray. Don't you guys pray when you pray for whenever they eat? They get a little thing. You could use this that way before you eat a meal. You could stop. You could just turn to the next page and you could pray for like Tom Grafe and his family in Romania. You look at their picture and you'd have a bigger heart, wouldn't you? You have a heart for the world. Now you're interested in Romania. You remember the kids' names. When they come, you say, oh, you bring your friends to hear them talk because you've been praying for them. You invite them into your home and, and they bless you lots more than you'll bless them. And they give you like missionary things from their country and you'll remember. I remember 
John Mays from La Paz, Bolivia, came to our house when I was 14 years old. He took a special interest in me. He talked to me about Bolivia. I was so interested. He gave me a $10,000 bill. They have really bad inflation in Bolivia. He gave me a $10,000 bill. He said, if you ever go to Bolivia, you can take this money and you can buy a loaf of bread there. That's how bad that it is in Bolivia. I remember that for years, I would open my Bible and a $10,000 bill would fall out from Bolivia. You can have missionaries in your home. You can pray for these missionaries. And what happens? Your heart gets really big. You have the heart of Jesus. You have the heart of Paul. And that's pretty hard. And then refresh gospel workers. Look at verse 32. That I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Isn't that beautiful? Refreshed together with you. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? You can't always support missionaries. I know a lot of you would like to do more. You don't have the money to do more right now. The Lord knows that. You can send notes, learn kids' names. You can Skype missionaries. You can show hospitality. You can invite them when they come here and have them share a meal with you. They don't, missionaries aren't fancy people. Missionaries are people that have given their lives for the Lord. They just love being with you. They love to know you really care about them. Um, Pastor Birch, can you tell me this? I'm going to put you on the spot here just a bit. I know you've been working hard on this. Can you tell me how many missionaries do we have that haven't yet been adopted by a group? Do you know that number? Okay, so we have 10 missionary families. We have missionary families that are adopted by a grow group or by a Bible study or by an ABF. But we have 10 missionary families that are not adopted. So how simple would it be in a week or two's time just to knock that out and adopt every one of our missionary families? And then what would happen? Maybe God would give us more. Maybe God would provide more. So I know this is interesting, isn't it? This whole missionary book that we have before us. And the other way you could do it, of course, is you can just go yourself. You can go yourself. And this is what often happens. You say, go be a missionary? Are you kidding me? I mean, that would be a long way from the mall, right? I can't do that. I can't go to Walmart for the mall. Are you kidding? I would have to go hours to Walmart? I just can't do that. I'm used to civilization. Uh, You know, of course, you could go to one of the great cities of the world and you could have quite an experience. But, you know, what I would suggest is don't go. Don't go. Just pray about other people and give to other people and let them have all the fun. Just let them have all the fun. And you support them. You just give them money and you pray for them. And when they come, you can hear from them. And you just stay where you are and don't, don't go. And what will happen is, eventually, if, if the Lord's in it, you'll find yourself like on a plane or trying something and doing something new. You can take the Operation Christmas Child box. You can send a part of you somewhere else in the world for Christ's sake. Jesus, he has a heart for the whole world. Paul had a great heart. There's a heart for the whole world. Any church that's made a difference has been a church that had a heart for the whole world. People who live under the mercy, who have a heart for God, they have a heart for the whole world. Happiness eludes people who seek it directly, but it flows into the lives of people who have meaningful lives. Deep happiness flows to those who live on the mission of Jesus. Deep happiness comes to those who have great hearts, who grow hearts as big as the world. 